acclaimed Odysseus, great glory of the Achaeans, is he willing to save our ships from devouring fire, or did he refuse? Is his proud spirit still possessed by rage? Book nine of the Iliad, welcome America, Hugh Hewitt, and the Hillsdale Dialogue has begun once a week, the last radio hour of the week with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, Dean Stephen Smith. Uh, he, he went into the academic bureaucracy. We lost him to Hades. He went to Hades. Uh, and good morning, gentlemen. I, I love the email this morning from Dean Smith saying chapter nine is pure gold. And so we're going to go there right away. But I must say it is uh, it's wonderful to read this this Joe Sachs translation. Stephen, I know you are not uh, reading from this one, but Larry Arn recommended to me and it is a wonderful translation. And finally, a good recommendation from uh, from Dr. Arn. Uh, Dean Smith, I'm going to give it to you to bring our audience up to speed. All right, so we're in Homer's Iliad, uh, the 10th year of the Trojan War, and the whole poem began with that quarrel between Agamemnon and Achilles over who is the best, uh, who is the greatest. Uh, Agamemnon's got the scepter, and Achilles has that excellence by nature. The quarrel ends when Agamemnon dishonors Achilles. Achilles withdraws, prays to Zeus, for glory, and also for his own men to be destroyed. And then the poem really gets underway. Achilles sitting out, uh, there are a bunch of duels, battles, uh, attempts at peace, and then finally a truce. And when we come to Book Nine, uh, the morale of the Greeks is pretty much broken. They've suffered tremendous losses, and it's time to ask, maybe we should get Achilles back in this game. It's like the fourth quarter of Game 7 of a championship series, and Michael Jordan's in the locker room. That is a great analogy. But what I really liked is, after I got your email, I went back and looked at notes and said to myself, this is so applicable to today. It's 2,500 years old, and still Odysseus is playing the role of, if you read the front page of the New York Times today, there's a speculation that Attorney General William Barr is on the outs with the President of the United States because of the impeachment inquiry. But I think what Barr is doing is playing the role of Odysseus, Larry Arn, trying to keep everything together. Yeah. And see, proud people interested in power uh, having close contest with each other. We're, in the, we're living here in America in the middle of the Trojan War. Isn't, isn't, didn't, don't you really believe that? We are, we are possessed. And rage, I, I, I began the show talking about it. I did a column for the Washington Post this week. 5,000 comments on it, all of them negative, spittle-filled and venom coursing through their veins. And it's the way the world is, Stephen Smith, and it's the way that the Greek camp was outside of the walls of Troy. Yeah, I mean, I think with uh, this poem, it, you know, it focuses on the rage of Achilles and its aftermath. But again, when we get to nine, uh, they're they're pretty broken. Even Agamemnon is um, is thinking maybe we should just give up and sail home, uh, and he's finally open to uh, you know trying to make peace with Achilles. And so let's let's talk about the embassy because I want to get to the gold. The way you described it, well, tell people what you think of this chapter, Stephen Smith. Well, I think it is an incredible um, book. It was book nine of the Iliad. And it's an incredible display of, of Achilles' own soul, uh, but also the, the rhetoric and the leadership of Odysseus. So how you persuade this proud, fiery, withdrawn, raging man to re-enter the war when he has been dishonored in public is quite a rhetorical challenge, and that's what Odysseus is undertaking at Agamemnon's, you know, with, with his blessing. So uh, it's pretty funny. 
Agamemnon, you know, he says, look, it's time to make peace with the man. Let bygones be bygones. What was I thinking in book one? I was an idiot. I was mad. I was ruinous. Uh, let him come back. Let him rejoin the battle on this condition that he acknowledge I'm the greater man. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, here we go again. You just can't let that one go. Okay, uh, Larry Arn, who does that sound like in the contemporary world? <laughs> well, it's, uh, you know, right now we think of Donald Trump, right? Yes, right. But, uh, <laughs> but that's just because he's the president. Look how, all, look how they're acting, right? I mean, good Lord. I just read this morning a really excellent article by a professor from Hope College about what Jeffrey Stein and Sam Tannenhaus have written about of a uh, visit to Michigan. And it's just contemptuous. I mean, it's amazing. And Sam Tannenhaus was this guy's guest at Hope College. And we're angry. He describes us as a blonde and strong featured, you know, so we're not... Oh, my crazy. gosh! I mean, it's just awful. And, uh, and so scorn, right? Proud scorn. And we can't adjust to the world. And, uh, and so... So how does this apply here? Well, these Greeks are off on their own, right? And they're getting beat. And Agamemnon, whose brother's wife has been stolen, and he got them all together and brought them here. And his pride is, is tearing the place up. And see, he, Agamemnon is not as proud as Achilles, because no one is. <laughs> but yeah. but uh, Achilles has more about which to be proud. Agamemnon is a heck of a fighter, you know, and he's a big, strong guy, and he's somehow assembled the biggest kingdom, but he won't bow. And that means that injustice is in the middle of this thing. And that's what provokes wrath, and that's why the Greeks can't get together and fight. And I love in the email, Dean Smith, where you write, good old Aggie, meaning Agamemnon, keeping alive his campaign to become the worst leader in Western literary history. <laughs> That's a pretty good line, isn't it? So expound well, I mean, on you know, that. His, his resume is impressive. You know, he, he got all those troops together. Uh, then he sacrificed his own daughter on the way to Troy. Uh, he causes the quarrel in book one. He tries to broker a peace here in book nine on the condition that Achilles acknowledge him the greater man. And then when he does finally win the Trojan War and return home, he's killed in the bathtub by his wife. So it's one of these, you know, resumes for the ages. Well, one of the resumes for the ages, and I don't want people to read this the wrong way. I think the Obama years were disastrous for America because of pride. I think they were absolutely disastrous on many levels abroad in Iraq and with China, and especially with the Iran Joint Comprehensive Program of Agreement. Dr. Arndt, it's all about pride. If you can't actually get advice and, and calm down, you're going to fail whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. Yeah. Well, what I was thinking this morning when I was reading that amazing article was, uh, you know, Winston Churchill was never proud in front of the people. He, he, he thought, why? He, Winston Churchill lived his life. In one way, he was rather like Achilles, although never, never carried away by his wrath. He thought he was the greatest man he knew, <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he was. But he also thought that the conclusion you have to draw from that if there aren't very many people like me, then the best place to put the power is in the hands of the people who are to be governed. And I will be their servant, right? And what, what's happened is 
nobody today, well, not, not some people can, but it's hard for people today to make that conclusion. We're the elite. We're the best. We've been to the schools that matter and all of that, right? And we live back there in the center of power. And my, aren't we cultured? Well, these, the, it is a similar kind of injustice that you cannot recognize virtue in another so impressed with your own. And, and everybody in this, well, not everybody, Agamemnon and Achilles have a measure of that. And Steve is going to explain the greatness of Odysseus in a minute, because Odysseus is not like that. He's too clever. I mean, but I, I'll, we're going to say that for after the break. I got to ask him before we go to break, though. Boris Johnson, for whom Larry gets great credit for pointing me to his recitation in the original Greek of a great vast slice of Homer's Iliad, has about him that Odysseus-like sensitivity to everybody. Do you agree, or and do you believe that? studying the Iliad would produce that in a person? Well, I mean, I think Odysseus, you can, you can see why Homer is so interested in him, interested enough to write the Odyssey after this, or uh, whoever wrote the Odyssey. But um, he looks like the guy who should have the scepter, the more you study the poem. I mean, he's the one who takes the scepter from Agamemnon in book two, and he's able to speak to all the different kinds of souls in the Greek army and restore order. And he is the one who takes the lead here in the embassy. And while it looks like the embassy fails, I think we'll see it. It actually does succeed. When we come back, we'll, we'll have uh, Stephen Smith read the key part of the embassy, explain it. Don't go anywhere, America. I must tell you, if you've never read the Iliad and the Odyssey. You might have been like me as a child. You got hooked on the Odyssey and you read it again and again and again. And then you went over to King Arthur's legend and you read it again and again and again and never got to the Iliad. This is the time to learn it. Go back to the Hillsdale Dialogue, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu, including all of our past Hillsdale Dialogues, including both, I think about eight years ago, we did a few episodes on the Iliad and we are deep in the Iliad now. They're all collected at hughforhillsdale.com hughforhillsdale.com coming right back with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, Dean Stephen Smith of Hillsdale College talking about the Iliad and boy does it apply. Don't go anywhere. It's the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. We are back in the Iliad Chapter 9. Dean Stephen Smith, president Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, all things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu the much famed embassy of Odysseus to Achilles. Tell us about it, Dean Smith. Well, the uh, first direction that's given is, um, again, from Agamemnon. He he wants to make an offer to Achilles, uh, tripods, uh, all sorts of treasure, if only Achilles will relent and come back into battle. And as we mentioned before break, the condition is, he acknowledged me, he bowed to me, the greater man. Now, when Odysseus actually gets I mean, when, yeah, when Odysseus gets to the tent and talks to Achilles, he will recap the war first, tell him how desperate it is, and then he will make an argument um, to Achilles. When he comes to the treasure, he diplomatically leaves out that condition, <laughs> and, uh, and then he uh, you know, finishes his speech. But a few of the highlights is very long, so I'll just, I'll just pick a few. Um, after recapping how bad things are, Odysseus says, up with you, Achilles. Now, late as it is, if you want to pull our Greeks, our hard-hit armies out, will you fail us now? What a grief it will be to you for all the years to come. No remedy then, no way to cure the damage once it's done. Come, while there's still time, think, how can you fight off the Greeks' fatal day? 
Hold in your chest that proud, fiery spirit of yours. Friendship is much better. Vicious quarrels are deadly. Put an end to them at once. Your Greek comrades, young and old, will exalt you all the more. Stop, Achilles. Let your heart-devouring anger go. And he says, look, I know you're mad at Agamemnon, but at least take pity on all our united forces mauled in battle. They will honor you, honor you like a god. Think of the glory. And then the last detail Odysseus throws in is just one name, Hector. Now, of course, we know Achilles wants to, to fight Hector the most. So that's the pitch in a nutshell. And it, it, it's so wonderful. I got a little shiver because it made me think, I had not thought of this before, friendship is better. Well, whoever yeah. made that argument, Lincoln in his first inaugural address, Larry Arn, we that's must right. be friends. We must not be enemies. Well, and uh, one of the turning point arguments in Aristotle's ethics is when in, in uh, book seven of the ethics, friendship replaces justice as the chief unifier of the city. And uh, that's, you know, because it goes beyond justice is dividing up. You get this and you get that. And, and, and if you follow Odysseus' speech, but let me tell a quick story about Steve Smith because it's fun. Uh, he's a dean, right? And it turns out I might have appointed him to that job, but there's a reason why. You're, I have preserved an email he sent me years ago in which he makes the case that the best way to teach statesmanship is through poetry. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And it's a, it's a long email. It's very good. And it's full of quotes from Thomas More and Shakespeare. <laughs> and so I, I read that thing and I said, hey, that's pretty good. And I've kept it. And uh, so the, the people hearing him today, this is who you're hearing. He's crazy and he's great. Well, but, the, he's right, too. The, oh, the additional, right. the additional advantage of being true. In your life, in everybody's life, right, there comes a time when you have to go beg some great person to do something and eat a little crow. This is how you do it. <laughs> and, it <laughs> and it goes, you see. It goes from the appeals, which, which feature in Agamemnon's instructions, to I'll give you this really cool stuff, and you get these girls, and I promise I haven't touched them, and my, aren't they lovely, right? It's all advantage. And, 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 and then when Odysseus so it, honor and friendship, it culminates in that. And those are things everybody wants. And to throw in at the end, Hector. Stephen mm -hmm. Smith. What is he doing? Baiting a trap? That's the honor. Well, the honor part, yeah. that's the honor, right? Well, I do, I do think, you know, Odysseus is, is, is sharp and uh, not a lot is lost on him. So he, so he knows um, and understands, I think, quite deeply the desire of Achilles. And Achilles, you know, he loves glory. And the greatest glory in front of him, he, he thinks, is to defeat Hector, the champion of the Trojans in battle. And so, you know, the last appeal there, he drops in quite artfully. I, again, I just think of it as a single word. And then, yeah. there's, Hector, and then there's Hector. Hector, it's, Hector, Hector. It's his real Achilles heel. Honor. I'll be right back, America. The Hillsdale Dialogue continues with Dean Stephen Smith, President Larry Arn of Hillsdale College. All things Hillsdale at hillsdale.edu. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt from Tampa Bay today. It is the Hillsdale Dialogue, the last radio hour of the week. We're having fun with Dean Stephen Smith, President Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu for everything, including all of the previous conversations about the Iliad uh, from both seven years ago and the last seven weeks, all collected at hughforhillsdale.com. Uh, a question to both of you. Uh, 
our politics today would be a lot easier to understand if we still believed in a multiplicity of gods acting independent of uh, Zeus <laughs> to, to sow confusion and disorder, rage and a lack of graciousness and civility and, and just dirty tricks. If we had that pantheon, Stephen Smith, it would make a lot more sense to us. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I think that line that you singled out, you know, friendship is, is much better and vicious quarrels are deadly. You know, it's really at, at the heart of, of Homer's, Homer's poetry. It's like, how do you, in the face of, you know, the culture, forge again a, a, culture, a culture of friendship and, you know, civil dialogue and respect when it, when it looks like, you know, an all-in-all brawl? I, I don't think it's coming back. Larry Arn, I, I, you might try and educate the next generation of leaders, but social media is tearing away at your ability to do so every day. Well, social media is certainly not good or not good for us, but uh, it's also not satisfying so people can turn away from it. You know, about your point about the gods, just remember the whole plot, that line in, in Steve's Love's book nine, but and I do too, but that line where uh, Hector at the end, just remember the whole plot of the Iliad is driven by a conversation between Athena and Zeus where she says uh, they've had a fight. Let the, 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 the Greeks suffer so there'll be glory for Achilles when, they come, when he comes back. In one way, these guys are all just little playthings of the gods, right? And, and uh, the gods go back and forth, and, and so the battle below is often just an epiphenomenon of the battle up on Olympus. And, so and that, that's let the only ask, way they can understand it, right? Because it, it, it is, is crazy what happens here. It is crazy, and but that leads me to the question that followed that declaration of uh, Agamemnon to Odysseus. Then much enduring, godlike Odysseus spoke to him in reply. What does that mean, Stephen Smith, to be a much enduring, godlike Odysseus? Well, I mean, Odysseus is described in the Odyssey as, as actually being like Zeus, a mastermind like Zeus. Uh, and we'll find out in the Odyssey, he does have the capacity to endure storms and endure, you know, all, all the violence of the world. And he's, he's tough because of that. He can govern himself and others. But, you know, in that question of the gods, it's also worth noting that Achilles is the one who makes the prayer that Zeus grants. And so it the prayer that begins the, the, the real rage of Achilles, it comes from Achilles. He says, hey, mom, Zeus owes you a favor. Exalt me. And he adds, and mow down the Greeks, which is, you know, kind of a perverse prayer. I mean, those countrymen that he loved at the beginning of book one become, you know, the ones he prays will be destroyed to, as part of his exaltation. So, there are the gods, yes, but that prayer comes from the, the heart of Achilles. Oh, Larry Arn, that is interesting. No, no sloughing it off as I was trying to do on the gods. No. And, well, they're and, kind of uh, a package deal. Yeah. Yeah. Gods, that's right. They, and see, the gods are a, a, a divine replication of the human instead of the other way around, very often in Homer, right? They're like us except bigger, and they don't have to worry about as much stuff as us. And they can be more impetuous than we. And, and so I, I, it's true. The gods' vices are, are echoed in us 
but it goes the other way as well. And that uh, point about friendship, remember, Achilles, you know, he's a, uh, there's a profound and important sense in which the philosophic Greeks, Plato and Aristotle and, and Socrates, they're trying to replace Achilles as the hero of the Greeks. Mm-hmm. And there are things wrong with Achilles because the life of honor is insufficient. And it leads to tragedies like this. In order to get more respect and eternal fame, fame, kill my countrymen. <laughs> you know that's uh, yeah, that's not right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you you know something that that Stephen said to me uh, said it, it is lurking here. When uh, he said, "Read this. This is the heart of the book." Right before it, Zeus tells all the gods, "Nobody do anything down on the battlefield. I'm going off." to figure this out, and he goes off and he weighs the appeals in the scales of justice. So the big God, number one God, is going to something else. Stephen Smith, what is he going to? Well, that's the, yeah, I mentioned that first show. I mean, the two most interesting wills are the, the will of Zeus and the will of Achilles here, and they are um, apparently, you know, one or, um, at the beginning, you know, Zeus does grant his prayer, but, but the big question of the, the Iliad Hugh, is what is the will of Zeus and what is its end? And honestly, that, that question can't really be answered till book 24. But, but listeners and those reading it should be thinking that at every turn, what is the big man working for? Like, what is his end? What is his goal? Um, is it simply to exalt Achilles and mow down the Greeks? Um, or is the end greater than that? And I think it is greater than that. Um, but again, we, we don't see that till book 24. And I don't want to give any spoilers, as they say. Yeah, well, the will of Zeus went driving towards its goal, but it doesn't say in book one, paragraph one, what that goal is. But he also, oh, what, what, what I'm asking is, he goes to the scales of justice, suggesting, I'll, I'll throw this to Larry Arn, perhaps prophetically, what the, the Greeks would try and develop through Plato and Aristotle, an order and a standard above the gods. Well, uh, you know, there's a, important theological and philosophic point that uh, if God is just a will and he can change however he wants, there would not be any way to understand him at all. You know, if, if God can say both X and not X are true, uh, if he can say uh, squares and triangles and circles are all the same thing, then there's no way for him to be intelligible. And you know we we have to think that our, we we have to think that our God is omnipotent, but we also have to think that our God is good, or else what what could we make of him? Well, these these gods, you know they they you know and the character explanations of the gods are parallel to the character ex, ex, uh, ex, explanations of the Greeks and the Trojans, right? Some of them love glory, some of them shine, some of them are impetuous, right? And they need that because they act in unpredictable ways. Well, well what, is, what is one to make, Stephen Smith, about the godlike nature of Odysseus? Is, that, is it that he is capable of all of those features or that there is one feature predominant among them that you know, a statesman would want? If you want to be like Odysseus, what does that mean? Well, I think in, in his case, he has a knowledge of nature and of human character, especially his varieties. Um, but the word that comes to mind is, is wisdom. You know, he, he's a mastermind like Zeus. He's wise like Zeus. 
And so that wisdom would involve a knowledge of the ends, um, but also a, a practical wisdom of which means to employ to bring about the best outcomes. And I think that's why in the, in the poem, he tends to be the one who solves the problems, who moves things along, um, who actually governs, even though he is, I suppose, you know, he's not the, he's not the, the number one. Qualities of statesmanship of the sort you're looking for in the new graduate programs, Larry Arn, inside the Beltway at the Kirby Center at Hillsdale in D.C. Would you teach Odysseus as a model, and where might you find a close replica of him in recent times? Well, in, uh, in uh, book six of the Ethics, Aristotle says that if you want the virtue of practical wisdom, you can study people who have the reputation for it, and those are mostly statesmen, he says. So these literary statesmen, uh, you know, they, they have an advantage, right? They, uh, uh, like Winston Churchill is the greatest statesman I know, but, you know, I won't claim he's better than Lincoln, but he's awesome. On the other hand, Churchill was imperfect, and he lived a limited human life, and he didn't get displayed in every possible scenario. Well, the statesman in Shakespeare and the statesman in Homer, the poet can craft the world in which they live to show anything they want. And as long as that, that, uh, the, the world they craft makes sense in comparison to the world we know and exhibits that reality, then that's very powerful, right? That's the way to learn. And so I agree with Steve Smith. I, I think he might even be crazy enough to think you wouldn't even need to read history, although I doubt that, really. But you certainly have to read literature because it's such a gift. And, and you know, if you think, the novel is a modern thing, and that's partly because paper, right, takes so much paper yep. to make one. Yep. But, but the Odyssey and the Iliad, Right? Those are the great, long treasures of literature from the ancient world. Am I right about that, Steve? Certainly. I think, um, you know, with Odysseus, especially when you, when you look ahead to the Odyssey, uh, Homer is very, very clear when he tells the full story of Odysseus that Odysseus is an intensely human figure. And so we, we, he's, not a, he's not a perfect um, statesman, maybe in a kind of ideal or imaginary way, um, he is a, a soul that has a capacity to learn. He has tremendously strong desires. In fact, they're as strong as Achilles. Um, but that, that difference seems to be the capacity to learn uh, and to grow. And so that's important to say is that he is a, a captivating figure. Um, but as the Odyssey will detail, you know, he has all kinds of ordinary, intense human struggles. Uh, that he has to overcome. Yeah, and, and so my, I agree with that. And my, my po point I'm making is, uh, like, it, it's a fact about Winston Churchill that what he wanted to do with his life was demonstrate how to keep a modern, prosperous republic stable under constitutional forms. And that's his lifelong task, right? And every great statesman is more concerned with things like that than he is with war. It was Churchill's fate to be a hero in war. And he tried to avoid it, right? Well, the point is, that means that you don't get to see Churchill's life as he would have chosen it to be set up. And he was a fallen man, not perfect, right? Just like Odysseus. But the point is, Homer can show what he wants of Odysseus in the Iliad, and then he can write the Odyssey and show more.
Oh, interesting. Uh, it's an unfair advantage over history. When when we come back, the, uh, Dean Stephen Smith, pick your favorite part of Chapter 9 that we have to, to hear. And then I want to talk about the effect of the book on, on your students and perhaps our listeners. Don't go anywhere, America. We'll be right back with the last segment of this week's Hillsdale Dialogue. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt, the Hillsdale Dialogue. Last radio hour of the week for me each week. All things important, lasting, and enduring. This week we are in Book 9 of the Iliad. In our third hour, our third show, and we've got three more coming on the Iliad with uh, Dean Stephen Smith, head of the literature and English department at Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu. Dean uh, and President Larry Arn, president of the whole shebang, both graduate and undergraduate programs, both in Michigan and Washington, D.C., and wherever they travel in Rome. Online, everything is at hillsdale.edu or Hugh for Hillsdale. Stephen Smith, what should we not leave Chapter 9 without hearing read? Well... Um, very simply, we've, we've mentioned Odysseus succeeding, um, but those who have read Book Nine or are reading it out there will realize it looks like an apparent failure because yep. after after Odysseus speaks, I mean Achilles, with a ringing speech that goes on for pages, more or less tells him and Agamemnon and the Greeks where to go. You know, he he and he he says, you know, look, my advice to you all is keep the trophies, keep the keep the treasures, and sail home tomorrow. So it looks like um, like failure, but the rest of the embassy, in fact, brings Achilles around. The first thing he says is, I'm leaving tomorrow at dawn. The second thing he says is, I'm going to decide tomorrow at dawn if I'm leaving. <laughs> and then the third thing he says is, I won't stir until uh, the Trojans get to my ships, and then I'm going to reenter the war. Oh. So, so he does come around, um, but the for listeners... The, the great speech of Achilles is famous. Um, he says to Odysseus, I hate like the gates of death, the man who says one thing but hides another in his heart. He says, what lasting thanks in the long run is there for war? The same honor awaits the warrior, the courageous warrior and the coward. They both go down to death. What's laid up for me? Nothing, nothing, nothing. This whole war was an insane voyage. Regarding Agamemnon's gifts, you can tell him I loathe his gifts and I wouldn't give you a splinter for the man. And then he kind of wraps up by saying, no wealth is worth my life. A man's breath cannot come back again. No raiders in force, no trading brings it back once it slips through a man's clenched teeth. I don't want to die here. And again, sail home now. So that's his immediate reaction, but that's not the end of the scene. And he will be he will be brought around. But that's that's a, an amazing speech from Achilles, and it bespeaks something about him as well, which is he's the kind of soul who, while he loves honor as intensely as anyone, he can he can call into question the war itself. Uh, he asks uncomfortable questions about justice and injustice, and at least after that speech, he's going to just sit there and say, "I'm not moving." But again, he will he will start to move. Did did Lincoln read? Homer, Larry Arn. Um, I don't know the answer to that. Do you, Steve? No, I don't. I, I know he read Shakespeare, but I don't know. About oh yeah, Homer. Shakespeare was his deal. Um, <laughs> you know, add. You know that in that Achilles speech, there's a microcosm of the whole tragedy of the of the poem because a, a great man needs a great death and doesn't fear it, except for this. He also loses the most when he loses his life. And and Achilles is half a god, and he's trying to descend it from a goddess. 
he's trying to become godlike. And really, you know, and that adjective godlike is thrown around in the Iliad all over the place. But Achilles is the one who's actually trying to do that. And how do I do it? And when do I move? Because once I give my life, that's it. I can't do it again. And that's the human condition. Huh. Last word to you, Stephen Smith. What's the impact on students when they study this? Really, really dive into it. Well, I think when, when you begin teaching the Iliad, especially to first-time readers, you know, as we mentioned in the first episode, they can find the quarrel, you know, juvenile and off-putting. Uh, they can easily get frustrated with the main characters. But as it wears on, um, it, as you mentioned, Larry, it looks like the fundamental human struggle about life, death, greatness, and glory, and it becomes um, captivating, powerful, and unforgettable. When I get to the end of Homer, like in a great books class, and I say, well, this is our sort of last day with Homer, farewell to Homer, uh, it's funny to compare that day with the first day. The first day is, this is stupid stuff. Why are we reading this? You know, that kind of thing. The last day, a sigh will go through the room. Like, no, no more Homer. <laughs> Wait, ah. slow, it, slow it down. You know, uh, don't, don't let him go yet. So it, it's a, uh, you know, it, it is what everyone has, has said, it, said it is, an unforgettable reading experience, an unforgettable educational experience. And really that, that whole quarrel at the beginning of the Iliad, who's the best? Um, who's the best man, the greatest man, that's the question of the whole poem. Like, what is the best way to live your human life? What yeah. is the greatest human life? And, and students really respond to that as the poem unfolds. Uh, Dean Stephen Smith, uh, President Larry Arn, both of Hillsdale College. Great hour. We will continue the conversation next week. We have three more hours on the Iliad, and they will follow in rapid succession. You don't have to wait for with, with long patience for Chapter 24, Book 24, where in Stephen Smith will tell you what it all means. Don't go anywhere, America. Stay on this station. We will be back next week with the next Hillsdale Dialogue. I'll be back on Monday, friends, with the Veterans Day edition of the Hugh Hewitt Show. Thank you for listening.